Uh, and this introduction has nothing to do uh, with my message. I was just having a conversation with somebody, and I was really excited about playing bocce ball. And that's, that's a new thing for me. Have I entered into a realm of being an old man now where my favorite thing is playing bocce ball? Does that make me officially an old man right now? I want to start a bocce ball league. I think it is a fantastic sport, and anybody who wants to do that with me, you can do it uh, with me. And if you don't know what bocce ball is, you're missing out. Uh, because you take some, what are they made out of? Anybody know? Ceramic? No? Paper mache. Some sort of ball, and you throw it, and then you walk and you throw another ball. So it's, 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 it's easy for all, all ages. That has nothing to do. I just realized that I've entered into a new stage. Uh, do you guys know Ryan Holly? Everybody like Ryan Holly. Who doesn't like Ryan Holly? Everybody loves Ryan Holly. I especially appreciate his sense of humor. And I was, uh, I was wondering, if Ryan Holly were to write some business slogans, what would they sound like? I came up with a few. If Ryan Holly were to write some business slogan for some companies, this is what they would sound like. If he worked for a podiatrist's office, he would write this. Time wounds all heals. <laughs> would you write that one? You would write that one. If he worked for an optometrist's office, he would say this. If you don't see what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. <laughs> Optometry, eye, you don't see it, come to the right place. How about another one? Why not? This is going so well. For a turf company, we're easy to get along with. Oh, finally, one more. Why not? For an auto body shop, we meet most of our friends by accident. And that would be a list of Ryan Holly's top business slogans. And I write that to you because I was reading a book recently uh, about uh, a business that had a huge kind of turnaround. It was the Aluminum Company of America. And this was in like the late 1980s. And a new guy took over. His name was Paul O'Neill, not the former uh, Yankee. Paul O'Neill, anybody remember that guy? Not that guy. Somebody different. Uh, took over the Aluminum Company of America. It was a, once a very uh, profitable company, but had seen some hard times. So this guy comes in, and uh, he starts leading the shareholder meeting. And as he leads the shareholder meeting, he gets up, and people expect him to do what typical CEOs do when they come to those. They're going to throw out some facts, throw out some statistics, uh, promise people to make lots and lots of money for them, make a couple jokes, and then get off stage after saying the word synergy about six times. That's what uh, they typically go on in those meetings. But he gets up, and he surprised and shocked everyone when he got up, and he said, what I want to talk to you about today is worker safety. Everybody in the room was shocked. Why would we even care about worker safety? He started to go into detail. He would say, hey, our company is a pretty safe environment, although we do have uh, some injuries that happen at our workplace, and I want to make sure that no one comes to work fearing that they're going to get hurt today. What I want to focus on, and what I want to change about this company, is I want to take it down to no injuries per year. We're going to focus on worker safety. People started to get confused. They were raising their hands. They're like, well, hey, why don't you tell us about this? And why don't you project this amount of money? And he's like, you don't understand what I'm trying to say to you. I'm trying to shift the culture in this workplace to adopt a singular mindset. And he said this, what I want to do is I want to have a, a group of people agree to come together to be a part of something important. I want them to devote themselves to creating a habit of excellence. And safety will be the indicator that we're making progress and changing our habits across the board. And that's how we're going 
to judge this. Well, people were upset. They left the meeting. They said, hey, call the brokers, sell all our stocks. We don't want any part of this. Uh, And one guy who did that was quoted as saying, that was the worst business decision I ever made. Because over the next 20 years, uh, he took the, the value of the company to something like $27 billion by focusing the company on excellence towards one thing that shifted the cultural mindset at that company. Now, why would I bring that up? Because if you read our passage from Ephesians, there was a mindset that you must have. And unfortunately, because there are so many different uh, churches that present themselves today and so many different products that they promise to uh, give out, that church has taken on this mindset that it is more about what the consumer gets than what the product that they're going to give out and what we're going to produce. What I want to do this evening is make sure we all walk away with a singular mindset, devoting ourselves to, like he said, something extremely important. And the importance is not just something of making people a lot of money. And the importance is doing what God has designed the church to do since he instituted it with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and we are going to see what that purpose is. Ephesians chapter 4. Last week, Scott was so helpful in pointing out the different roles of the leaders of the church and their function of what they were supposed to do. And in verse uh, 12 and 13, uh, it says this. They were to equip the saints, right, the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists, to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So we know we're coming together to build up the body of Christ. Our passage starts in verse 13. Until we attain to the unity of the faith, so that we may no longer be, uh, no, sorry, uh, to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together with every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We have the stated purpose of the church. And when we come to agree on that purpose and when we devote ourselves to that purpose, that's when we're really going to see church take on the meaning that it should in our lives. Do you ask yourself that question when you guys pull up to the loop here? Why am I coming to church. It can be something that can become very ritualistic, right? We just do it because we've always done it. I did it because my parents did it. I'm doing it because my wife wants me to do it. We're doing it because it's good for the kids. What is the purpose of you coming to this church? Well, if you're not in line with what the Bible's saying, and if our church is one that is devoted to the scriptures, and it is, then we're going to have some conflicts. What I want to do is set everybody on the same page so that as we walk away tonight, every single time we set foot on this campus, we will know the reason why we're here and how to best accomplish this. So let's get this down, number one, on our outline. It's very long. I was verbose for no reason other than I couldn't think of a pithy way to say this. So, number one, adopt the purpose of church as your purpose for going to church. Get it down that way. Adopt the purpose of church as your purpose for going to church. That's what I want you to do. Because as we read through it, it's, it might be 
pretty obvious at what the purpose of the church is, to grow up into maturity, into Christ-likeness. And it's easy to kind of gather that and to say that in our own minds, but to know what it is and adopt that as your purpose are two different things. I can drive by LA Fitness and know what they are there for, but adopting their existence as my purpose for the reason of going there is something very, very different. So knowing the purpose and adopting it as my own are two different things, but we need to make sure that those are matching. Because last week, we were told that I'm coming up here to help you do the work of the ministry. And I want you to know that whatever that work of the ministry is, is not just some sort of mechanical function. It's not just some sort of perfunctory action. Whatever you do, whatever we train you to do in this church, it's put together for a larger purpose. And I don't know if, it, if this is a true story or not, but there was a, a story that went like this. I think when they were uh, building uh, one of the, the great cathedrals, uh, there was an architect of a great cathedral, and uh, a guy went up and he was kind of interviewing each individual worker. What are you doing here? One guy said, hey, I'm just you know, trying to earn a day's wage to feed my family. Another guy said, hey, I'm just doing some work uh, to, to save some money to go visit uh, some friends. One guy said, though, I'm helping the architect build what he envisioned in his mind. And it's that third person that we want to be when we come to church. We're adopting not just what we can get out of it, although there are benefits for us, but we're adopting the person of who is the architect, the one who is laying the plans, the one who has made the purpose. We're coming and saying the church is designed to make us more mature people in Jesus Christ so that we look more like him and the body of Christ united functions more like him, that should be your purpose as you come here. But it's crazy how quickly that can leave us. We want to get back to the text. So what does it say, verse 13? Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're doing. We're trying to attain to the unity of faith. And Ryan kind of touched on that back at the beginning of chapter 4 when we were talking about unity. But unity is never just for unity's sake, although that's what people want to do. They all want to band together under the cause of everybody being unified just because we believe in something. But this text really helps us because it says we're unifying for the faith. And that becomes something very important. You can just write down in the margin Jude verse 3, because there's only one chapter. So Jude verse 3, which tells us we need to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There is a definiteness to that. You see, if I said, hey, could you hand me a cup of coffee? I just want any cup of coffee. Just give me one. Just hand me a cup of coffee. But if I said, get me the cup of coffee over there, there's a specific one I'm talking about. It's, it's specifying. It's definitizing. And that's what it's doing here. There is the faith handed down, which at least includes all of Ephesians, because Paul's writing this. But I would say it would include all of the Bible. And why do I say that? Look at the next phrase. To come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 24? He was telling people about the Old Testament. He showed them from the law, the writings, and the prophets that everything about that was pointing to him. We come to the New Testament and we realize it's the Holy Spirit revealing things about Jesus Christ. So when we're coming to a full knowledge of God, I'm assuming that the unity of the faith is laid out for us in the scriptures right here. So we need to be about the business, adopting the purpose of using the revealed word of God to make ourselves become more and more like Jesus Christ. We're going to do this so we become mature, so that we grow. Have you ever thought about that? Can you take a look at your life from where you were 
to where you are right now and say that there has been growth? Are, are we seeing a, an, an increase in our maturity, in our decision-making, in our discernment, in our care for others rather than ourselves? Because if we're not, maybe we're coming to church with the wrong mindset in mind and we've adopted a different purpose than what the Scriptures are telling us to do right here. We need to come growing and being mature, trying to grow in our Christ-likeness. Just write down, because we don't have time, 1 Corinthians 13 uh, verses 4 to the end of the chapter. talks about love and why that's really going to help us as a church, but it talks about the maturity there that needs to be taking place as you come to church. Church is an environment where we should be maturing as Christians, corporately coming together to make sure we, as a body, are looking more and more like Jesus Christ. How can you, as an individual, though, help that? And that's by constantly having a mindset that church is not about you. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to turn there with me. If we're going to be like Christ, and we want the body of Christ to grow into maturity, uh, to look like Jesus Christ corporately, then individually we better adopt a specific mindset. Philippians 2. Let's take a look at Christ's example here. Philippians 2, we'll go 1 through 8. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, Philippians 2, 1, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being, notice that the unity, the same mind, having the same love, being full accord in one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider one another as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or maybe a better phrase, which, is, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, or emptied himself taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How will we as a church maintain the mindset that we must grow into maturity to look more and more like Jesus Christ corporately? It's when you come individually with this mindset. I'm not here for what I can get. See, I wonder how many of you Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe it's come from conversation. Maybe it's not even from nefarious motives. But you've left church and you've asked the question, did you like the sermon? Well, of course, tonight you're all going to say yes. But maybe it's a different time and you say, did you like the sermon? You say that. Or did you like the worship music? Do you like the pastor? Did you like the people? Did you like this? Did you like that? And we've now quickly turned the church to look a little bit more like Costco than we have a factory that's producing Christ-like people. See, it's not that I don't want you to enjoy church. I, I do want you to enjoy church. It's not that you can't uh, like the people that you come here with and have joy. I'm not really trying to suffocate or stifle your joy. I'm really trying to set you free to celebrate true joy. Because when I am selfless and I care for other people, that's when I really begin to experience what true joy is. I mean, I hope that's the way you, you parent your kids. I mean, how many of you in here see the selfishness inherent in your kids? You don't want to feed into that selfishness to try to make them find joy and happiness. You want to get that selfishness out of them by having them realize that life is not about them. Because constant quarrels and conflicts will come when we have a selfish mindset. I mean, I, I have two boys. 
And they fight constantly. I mean, it is unbelievable. I have two boys that fight constantly. What's this? Doesn't fight with anybody. My goodness. I know how many kids I have, okay? I have three kids. I like two of them. Wesley and Miles and Trenton is, I'll tell you about him. Trenton, okay, Trenton is at this stage. Uh, he's a manipulator. He knows how to do it. He knows he's cute. We gave him a haircut. He looks like Brian Austin Green from 90210 now. He's just like the spitting image of him. And he knows that he can just walk into a room and flash a cute smile and get what he wants. He knows it. He knows he can do that. But he is so, so wrapped up in his own interests that he just constantly fights with Miles. And it's, they fight over the dumbest things. It's really the dumbest things. Like, I, I try to teach Miles by asking him questions. I'll say, Miles, you know, do you see that? What is that? And so sometimes, I think Miles does it to me now. And so the other day, we go, we were driving, and Miles goes, hey, Dad, is that a tree? I'm like, I don't know, Miles, is that a tree? He goes, yeah, Dad, it's a tree. I'm like, oh, awesome, Miles. And Trenton, as soon as he said, yeah, it's a tree, Trenton goes, no, that's not a tree. Well, it's a pretty cut and dry case. Does it... Does it have leaves? Is photosynthesis going on? I mean, I, you know, those types of things. Do trees do photosynthesis, is that true, right? So you know, yeah. Biology, remember that. So he just, contrary, to the point of this, okay? The other day, uh, Miles goes, hey, Dad, what month is it? And I go, I don't know, Miles. And he goes, it's November. And as soon as he said that, Trenton goes, yes, Vember. He just has to be opposite. <laughs> no joke. He has to be opposite of whatever Miles is to the point that it's ridiculous. And it'll get to the point where they'll go back and forth so much, it'll be this. It'll be, it'll be yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, that they're fighting actually turns into laughing because they're just shouting yes, no, yes, no, back and forth. They just do that because their interests are looking at themselves. So when I pull them aside and I sit down and I talk to them and I say, hey, you got to be nicer to other people. We have a different mindset in our family. We don't look to our own interests. We don't care about ourselves. We don't care about just being right. We want to care about other people. I'm trying to take something outside of them that initially steals a little bit of joy because they like to be selfish. I'm trying to take that out of them so that they can enjoy relationships between people because the only way relationships will succeed is if we have a selflessness in us like Christ. That's what I'm saying to you tonight. If you're coming to church and your first thought is, I didn't like that, I didn't like this, I don't like that, how about you change your thinking? Did it accomplish its purpose? Did I look at the scriptures and now think, wow, I want to be more Christ-like because of that? Was I challenged to get rid of a sin more because I understand the holiness of God better? Did I come understanding, wow, God has been so patient with me, now I can be patient with other people? Is it, I'm going through such a difficult time, but there was so much encouragement, I know I can make it. If I get out of myself and I look to other people, I'm now following Christ. And the more individuals that adopt that, then the greater it's going to spread throughout a corporate body, and we will have a chance at doing something great for the kingdom of God. I want to do that for you. This is a mindset you must adopt. If you are having a hard time doing that, why don't you spend time memorizing these verses? I cannot tell you, okay, pastor secret, I get selfish at times, okay? I cannot tell you the amount of times that this verse has helped me, this section of verses that I've memorized by being so selfish and angry that I can stop and say, you know what? I know my purpose. I know what this is. I need to devote myself to the mind of Christ. You need to do that, okay? We need to figure out a way to do that, and to do that is to adopt the purpose of church as my purpose for coming to church. Back to Ephesians chapter 4. 
We want to make sure that as that is going on, that we watch out for something. We're coming, we're attaining to the unity of faith because the pastors and teachers are doing what they're doing, teaching and training people to think more like Jesus Christ. And then in verse 13 it says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So let's get it down this way. Let's avoid teaching that will promote immaturity. Let's avoid teaching that promotes immaturity. Or is it immaturity? Which one? Maturity or maturity? Say it. Both? Maturity? Is that my wife? Oh, sweetie, I agree with you. I promise. I, whatever you say. Maturity or maturity? I'm going to say it maturity just to bother you. <laughs> Kidding. That would, be self, that would be selfish if I did that. I won't do that. Maturity. We want to avoid that. We don't want to, if you're ever going to a church or you ever come to this church and you hear something that is promoting selfishness in you, it's promoting something in you that you're going to get and it's going to be beneficial to you and it's not about the kingdom of God, the glory of God, the glory of Christ, that is going to cause immature thinking in you. You've got to avoid that. You've got to watch what books you read. You've got to watch what podcasts you listen to. You've got to watch whatever it is. Watch what comes out of my mouth. Make sure you test it according to the scriptures. I'm telling you that we have the rule of faith. We have what God wants for us. And if I say something wrong, go to the Bible and find out what is true. But you've got to avoid any teaching that is going to tell you life is about you and your happiness and get about God's business, which is living for his glory, because that's what we were created for. I want to make sure that we're doing that. It's so easy to fall into that. Notice that when you don't have a, a rudder or an anchor, that the waves of doctrine and the winds of false doctrine are going to toss you every which way. Have you ever just felt like that? You just felt like you're wandering aimlessly. The scriptures give us a hope. Christ is our anchor, and we don't need to be blown about if we know who Jesus Christ is. Let's make sure that we do that. Watch for any sort of ministry that is promoting your best life now for you. You're going to get it now. This is good, immediate gratification. You've got to watch for that. I was reading an interesting article about an airline company. I, I think it was American Air. I, I'm not sure on that. Whatever it is, it was an airline that wanted to make a quick buck. So they said, we're going to sell these lifetime passes. It was in like the 1980s for $200,000. You buy this pass. You can fly anytime you want. First class, no matter what. You pay six hundred or two. $200,000, they said it was about $600,000 right now. $200,000, rest of your life you fly for free. Uh, to make a quick buck, they were able to, to get some you know, benefit from that because about, I think it said 66 people brought that. That's a pretty good chunk of change at $200,000 a piece. It brought them some quick, quick money. But overall, the company lost a lot of money. You know why? Because they didn't do any fine print. In fact, they said, uh, why you get to fly free for the rest of your life after buying this? you can rack up frequent flyer miles and take anybody with you. So anytime a person wanted to, they could just hop on a plane, go back and forth, rack up enough miles, and then now they can start bringing people with them. So they're losing that. Then they have uh, no cancellation fee. So you could book 20 flights and pick the one you wanted, cancel the other ones, no cancellation fee. They went for the quick gratification of, hey, let's get this money so we'll be okay, and they didn't think about the long term in that sense. That's what false teaching is going to do for you. They're going to tell you, focus on the here and now. You're going to get it now. This is going to be good. You'll get a quick benefit, and then you know what? In the end, it's going to cause you to be bankrupt. It's not going to give you what you want. So avoid that teaching that does that. And the teaching of the Bible is, when I am a Christian, I am called to deny 
myself. If anyone is going to come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now you think, oh, that again, that sounds kind of dour. Every time Jesus said something like that, he always said, I say these things to you, John 15, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is the pathway to joy through self-denial. We think it's through self-fulfillment, but it will never be that way if we consider ourselves scriptures. And I'm just going to consider that if my iPad's busted, I'm going to have a good attitude about it because it just fell off the stage. We want to make sure that we don't do that. So watch out for false teaching. Two quick ways that you can notice this. Uh, number one, you will notice it uh, by the teacher's doctrine. So you've got to learn the scriptures, and you will learn it by their doctrine. Uh, I think that's 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. We'll talk about that. False teachers will give false words, and you'll be able to spot those false words, and it's usually perverting the grace of God in that sense, so watch that. So watch their teaching, and then watch their lifestyle. Uh, Matthew 7 it's somewhere in the middle. It says, you will know them by their fruits, the false teachers. Uh, a, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree is not going to bear bad fruit, nor is a bad tree going to bear good fruit. You will recognize these false teachers by their fruit. So you watch their teaching, you can know it's false, but then you watch their lifestyle and know that it's bankrupt as well. We want to make sure that you avoid that. That's why I'm, you know, I'm saying to you, and every pastor should be able to say, you can look at me and watch my life and my doctrine like I should be doing. First Timothy 4.10, I think it is. Watch your life and your doctrine because as you do that as a pastor, it will help your people know that what you're saying is true if you live it out in your life. So please avoid false teachers that are going to promote immaturity. But where does our passage end up in Ephesians 4? Rather, speaking the truth in love, okay, it's given us the process, we're speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what I want us as a church, and especially Thrive as a ministry, to be a part of. Let's get down to number three this way. Let's play our part with humble excellence. Whatever your part is in church, Whatever role you have, whatever ministry post it is, you take up. Because God, as you've been gifted, has gifted every single one of you to do something. Whatever that is, do so with humble excellence. If I could just, again, commend the men who, who stayed after Fall Fest. What you were able to do with really humble excellence. I didn't see a lot of people get on uh, Facebook and talk about the work they did that night. You guys did excellent work. And we got so much accomplished. I, I literally can't stop Rick Talcott from thanking me for how much work you guys did. That's incredible. That is humble excellence. You're here just to do the job because you know it serves the church. So play your part, whatever it is, with humble excellence because you're part of the body of Christ. This church, these people in here, Christ died for you to purchase the church for himself. That makes this a very important experience. And as you're here and you sit across the table and you're in small groups, you go to accountabilities, you are all joined together with like, like a body with ligaments so connected, we want to make sure we are excellent at what we do. Paul says it this way. You've probably heard this phrase before. Rather, speaking the truth in love. It's in contrast to the cunning, false doctrine being taught over there that you're going to get yours right now and it's going to be the best. That's a lie. Don't fall for that. Rather, we need to speak the truth in love. Actually, in the original language, speaking is not found in the original language. 
I think I checked four major translations, NASB, ESV, KJV, and the NIV. Um, and I think all four of them said speaking the truth in love. And I think that's just a contextual thing they're doing. They're assuming that the pastors who are teaching the doctrine and contrasting against false doctrine that's taught by false teachers, they're assuming now, well, Paul was meaning this. But really, the word in itself, if you were just to translate it literally, it's truthing in love. Just truthing in love. And why I want to highlight it that way is because it's not just you coming with your words to be truthful. I think that's just encompassing everything you do. When you say it's so generic like that, just truthing in love, it means every part of your body, every part of your action, every part of your thoughts must be connected to the truth in love. Because truth without love will lack sympathy, but love without truth will lack strength. I want to make sure that we have these things together in order that we might be honoring to Christ and live selflessly amongst one another. I love the phrase, the way that they put it at the end. Paul says this, when each part is working properly. That's such a great phrase. That should be your prayer. You come to church, Father, I'm part of the body of Christ. I want to work properly tonight. I want to be here and thrive in my small group, not just coming because it's what I do every Thursday night. I want to work properly in the body of Christ to help produce Christ-likeness in myself and other people. And when we do that and we agree on that purpose, man, God's going to do some incredible things. I think I mentioned in here before, I've been reading a book and I just finished it, uh, Boys in the Boat, just a good read. Uh, they have this thing in rowing called the swing. The swing is when each rower, all eight rowers, I think there's eight of them, are so in concert, and I said in concert because when I say in sync, somebody snickers and makes an in sync joke. Because we're in a group, we're in sync with there. So, so in concert with one another that it's like they're, they're one person. They call it the swing. The, the boys that the, they're describing in the boat, they said there was a time where they weren't getting anything done because they were rowing as a boat of individuals. And if you row as a boat of individuals, this guy wants to go this way, this guy wants to go this way, this guy wants to go this way, you're not working properly. You are designed to work together to go straight forward towards a goal. And if we adopted that mindset, that would be incredible, rowing together, looking for the swing as it is in Christianity, and that's pursuing Christ-likeness. But a line that the author wrote struck me. It said this, no other sport demands and rewards complete abandonment of self the way rowing does. Now, that's beautiful. When you abandon yourself and you're there for the team, it demands it, but it rewards it. Is anything else true of the Christian life? It demands that you abandon everything, but God says, he who humbles himself, I will exalt at the proper time. So you are demanded to give up your pursuit of self, but you will be rewarded by God at the end of time. This is what we're aiming for. So my prayer is that we walk away tonight knowing every time I step into this building, anytime I go to church, anytime I have accountability, I meet with somebody, this is my mindset, this is my goal, and I want God to get the glory for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this look at your word uh, and I pray, Father, that you would rip out of us any sort of selfish mindset to come to church, but that we would come to church with one mindset, to become more like your son, to grow in maturity so that we might be pleasing to you. God, I think it's First Corinthians says we shouldn't be infants in our thinking. We should be infants in evil, but in our thinking we should be mature. And so help us, Father, to adopt that so that we are no longer pursuing selfish desires, but we are pursuing your honor and glory and the good of others. Give us that Christ-likeness, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.